So God is training us for ministry so that His nature can be communicated in our service. So that we're not just doing good deeds, we're doing God deeds. That is to say that we, as we help and serve and love, are communicating His nature, His grace, His love for people. And that takes a lot of training because we're not used to being vessels, we're just used to doing it. Now, we have begun this training a few weeks ago in earnest by starting with the family and noticing the roles in the family really kind of pre-train us for ministry if we take them seriously. Ministry requires that we submit. And marriage requires that you submit. Uh, You will learn that or it will come back to you. That we submit to one another. The ultimate model, of course, is Jesus Christ who submitted, who who was obedient unto death. Then we talked about the role of proper authority that that is supposed to happen in parent-child relationships. That not only was Jesus Christ King of kings and Lord of lords, and not only are we to submit to His authority and those He places over us, but we are also to exercise godly authorities in the realms He has given us to do that. And that's a ministry. That is his nature that reveals who he is. And then last week we talked about peer relationships, proper affiliation. What do you do with brothers and sisters, those on the same level? How do we live lives that complement what they're doing instead of compete with what they're doing? Jesus was not only king of kings and lord of lords, but... Romans 8.29 says he was the firstborn among many brethren that were to follow. So he's our elder brother. How do we be a brother to others and reveal his nature? Now tonight, this will be kind of, kind of fun, because you're going you're gonna to learn to really value the expansive extended family that God has given you. And I'm going rem- to remind you of some of your your rather odd relatives. You know you've got weird relatives. You know that? But God gave us all of these people so that we would realize we did not get to where we are right now by ourselves. Alex Haley used to say, you know, if you walk past a fence post and there's a turtle sitting on top of that fence post, you can bet he's had some help. You know, if you look at where you are right now, you didn't get there by yourself. You've had some help. And what part of what has helped you is all of the family God has given you. You know, that was true even of Jesus. If you have your scriptures with you, turn to Luke chapter 3. And I will show you that scripture tells us at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus, God wanted us to know he didn't get there by himself. And he wasn't there by himself. It says in Luke 3, 23, this. It says, And when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being supposedly the son of Joseph. Now this tells us something very important about family. Family is not just about bloodline, is it? What, what, what the Bible says is that all of these people were his family. They weren't bloodline. Because this is Joseph's side. This isn't Mary's side. 
But these were the spiritual forefathers. This was his family. Now, if you look at Matthew's version of this in chapter 1, he emphasized kind of the women. Now, you can, you can look at, and if you're biblically literate, you can understand that there are some crankers in here. There's some, I mean, have you got any kind of, like, way back, have you studied, you got horse thieves and stuff like that? I mean, everybody does. Jesus did. And Matthew tells about the women in his, points out four of the women. One was a prostitute impersonator, Tamar. When Tamar's husband died, she dressed like a prostitute, induced, seduced, enticed her father-in-law to lay with her so that she could have children because her husband's died. Uh, and then there was, and then there was uh, Rahab, who really was a prostitute. There <laughs> wasn't acting about it. And, and, and then there was uh, Ruth. We'll talk about her a little bit later. She was a Moabitess. She came from Moab, enemies of Israel. She was an unbeliever. See, we got all kinds of characters in our family, don't we? God doesn't just use believers to, to, to influence our spiritual lives. As a matter of fact, one of the great pleasures after you become a Christian is to look back and see how God providentially and strategically placed all of those relatives where he did, believers or not, good influences or bad influences to make up who you really are. It's, it's a shame kind of that we don't have so many family reunions anymore because that's where we used to sit around and tell stories on each other. And, and, and that was a great a source of great richness for our kids. Now it just happens at Christmas time or at funerals when people get, and they just tell stories about the characters in the family. I've got characters in my family. You've got characters in yours. I used to delight hearing about my grandfather and grandmother when they courted. They courted in a horse and buggy. And I used to delight in my grandfather telling me how embarrassed he was. You know, in, in, in these days, the horses in our engine, we get embarrassed if they run out of gas. But I was, I was greatly interested that he, was, he could be in embarrassing situations like, like I got embarrassing situations, like all of you, uh, the different things that happens on your, happen on your day. I, I, the, 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 the little stories of, of endearment, my mother, um, was such a character. Oh, man, was she a character. And the first time my, my brother-in-law, Jan, ever came over to the house to visit my sister, for some reason, my mom had to go out of the house. And she didn't want to leave them unchaperoned. But she, it was too late to call, you know, kind of call him up and say, no, you can't come. And, but she had to go out. So she took, she went and got a jar of olives and stuck the, 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 the toothpicks and, and, and dangled them from strings and taped those olives all around the ceiling of the living room. And so Jan walks in. He's in the Marines. He's walking in. He's, he's just, you know, kind of respectful anyhow. And he just looks up. And there's all of these olives dangling from the ceiling. And my mother looks at him and says, Now, son, I'm, I'm sorry, but I've got to leave. But I want you to remember this. Just because I'm not here doesn't mean nobody's looking. I remember the first time my nephew, they, they, you know how you are with your first kid, you're so careful to feed him everything just right. And my sister and then my brother-in-law who made it through the olive ordeal, they, did, they finally did get married and, 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 <laughs> and, and, and they brought little Greggy over for the first time to be babysat. They were so careful. I mean, they don't, they'd done everything right with this kid. You know how it is with your first kid. First kid. And, 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 and so 
grandma was, was going to babysit. And, and they said, now he gets fussy sometimes, so he might get out of sorts. Oh, she said, don't worry about it. So they leave. A couple hours, they come back. Here's this kid. Big stuff. A ring of Oreos around his mouth. He's just like catatonic. Mom said, didn't give me any trouble at all. You've got stories like that in your family. Don't you have characters like that in your family? Just characters. And, 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 and our, my Uncle Max, my Uncle Max was the best storyteller in the world. My Uncle Max, all his life, walked around with a long neck beer bottle in his back pocket. And, 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 and well, that's the only kind there were back then. But they, they buried him with a beer bottle in his back pocket. And, and this guy, I, I, I never knew what, of course, when you're young, you don't think in terms of spiritual or not, very Christian or not. You just, that, doesn't, that doesn't occur to you, especially in a family like mine. But, but, but I remember, I remember Uncle Max walking into a room. And people would just light up. You know why? Because he'd tell stories. He was a phenomenal story. And, and, and when I was called into the ministry, God called me. I, I'll tell you the whole story sometime. But God called me to tell stories. Now, not the kind my Uncle Max told. <laughs> he was a salesman to truck drivers. Not that kind. But there was another person in the Bible that used stories all the time. His name was Jesus. The Bible says he didn't open his mouth without a parable, a story. And, and God called me to tell the stories for God. I love to tell stories. I love to watch your eyes when I start on a story. You're just, I mean, you could be going, I start on a story. You're right there. I love that. Got that from my Uncle Max. You see, God doesn't just use believers, he uses characters. And he puts together sovereignly in us a family character that will determine some of what our ministry is, whether we ever connected with, with ministry before. See, when I was a little boy, my, my mother used to say, now son, you're a hunter. Well, what'd that mean? I know, it didn't mean anything to anybody else. But it, but it was supposed to mean something to us because we, there's a certain character in our family. There are certain values that being a hunter, you, 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 you had. There was the value of dignity. I, I mean, I have a lot of fun, but, but our family was just, you didn't play practical jokes in our family. I mean, you just, you just did And don't, don't play, ever play a practical joke. I won't play a practical joke on you. You don't play a practical joke on me. Because it's just something you didn't do. Now, we, we laughed all the time. We had great humor. But you never embarrassed somebody. That just, you just didn't do that. And, and, and there was the, the, the value for intellect. My grandfather was a, was a, had his doctorate. And that was very unusual for somebody born in the 1800s. Um, and I remember one time coming home from school and I said, Pop, I just want to learn. I hate this stuff. I just want people to like me. And Pop looked at me and he said, Joey, nobody likes a dummy. I said, what do you mean? He said, if you're intentionally dumb, that's no way to get people to like you. He said, and besides, and let me tell you something. It doesn't matter whether people like you or they don't like you. What matters is, can you help them? That's what matters. I remember my mother turning to me when my father had died when I was four years old. And my mother turned to me 
And she looked at me. Now, there's just my mother and my older sister and myself in the house. And she turns to me and she says, Joey, now you're the man of the house. Can you imagine a four-year-old? And I thought, I'm only four years old here, Mom. And I remember her being so encouraging with me in that role. And I remember the first time I ever walked into a church. And I thought, I can't do this. In my heart, I'm only four years old. This is huge. I can't be the head of this family. But because I was four years old and my mom had ordained me the head of the family, you're the man of the house. I thought, well, maybe, maybe I can do it. Every time I walk in here, I feel about four years old. I'm not adequate for this. I'm not adequate. But from the very time I was very young, somebody turned to me and said, you're the man of the house. Whether you're able or not, you're the man of the house. That's your role. You see, all of you have had those words in your lives. All of you have had blessings, and all of you have had curses from your family, messages that you've got to deal with. Now, God puts all of those together for His use. Some of them are very spiritual. Some of you were blessed with faithful Christian ancestors. That's the way it was with Timothy. When Paul looked at Timothy, he didn't see Timothy's faith just sprang up out of nowhere. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes this, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that is in you as well. See, it was passed down. It was passed down. Now, that turns another corner. How does God use our extended family, to get the faith into us. Sometimes it's with blood relatives. Sometimes it's by grafting us into the believing family when we haven't got believing family of our own. I told you about Ruth. Turn, if you have your scriptures with you, turn to Ruth uh, chapter 1. Let me show you something. How God has provided all of us all the way along with Christian witnesses. That eventually, if you're a Christian, become your family. And you can look back and you can see how and why he did it. Ruth comes from Moab. Naomi was an Israelite. She was a Jew. And Naomi had two daughters-in-law neither of which were Jewish. Both of the sons died. Naomi loved these girls. And she knew that they were still young enough to be able to return home as widows and maybe marry again. And so she looked at them and she said, go to your homes, because I don't want you to spend the rest of your life without a husband. Now, the one went home, but Ruth loved her mother-in-law to such an extent that she was willing to live for the rest of her life without a husband. That's not how it turns out. If you don't have, if you, if you have a little time, read the book of Ruth. It is one of the most romantic stories. But it starts out not with romance, but with love and friendship for an extended family member. And this is what Ruth says to Naomi. Verse 16, Ruth 1, 16. 
Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. Now watch this. And your God shall be my God. Let me tell you something very important about evangelism. The most effective evangelism you can ever do is not with theology, but with love. Evangelism follows relationships. Theology grows from love. What happened here is that Ruth loved someone so much that she began to love what that person loved, including her God. You want to be an effective evangelist? Love somebody. Love somebody. And as they grow to love you, they will love the God you love. That's a very important lesson. And so God gives us Christians in our lives that have loved us and that we've loved back and we've come to love the God they love. I was taken to a church family when I was little by my grandmother, First Methodist Church. And I didn't know much about God. There was just a reverence in the place, you know? This is back in the day. You know, anybody at a first church hardly rocks at all. You know that, don't you? I mean, all the women have fruit on their hats and the men have <laughs> pinstripes on their suits and they all kind of look like this. But even in that setting, God said, I am a high and holy God to me. I mean, I walked in there and I could just feel the presence of God. It was so solemn. And that's when I knew there was somebody bigger than me and even bigger than my grandmother around. And even bigger than Dr. Shoemaker. And then, as I went on, God called me into the ministry. I've got to tell you that story sometime. But God called me into the ministry. And I met Beck, and we went into the ministry and and, and about our third church into it, I was still all formal, you know, all robes and stuff. And, and I didn't know anything about this warm relationship, but, but God acquainted us with a couple of charismatics who just started to love us. And they just talked about Jesus like he was their best friend. And while I was talking to Jesus today, this is what I heard from the Lord. And I'm going, What? <laughs> Where does it say that in <laughs> I wanted that. I wanted, I wanted that warmth. I wanted that passion. They didn't disrespect him. They loved him. I wanted that. I got to pre, kind of preset somebody who operated on passion. My Aunt Frances, who was a charismatic Catholic. Boy, she just, she, she was all heart, passion. And I remembered her and I saw them. I want that. So I got that. And then God led me to a man named Walter Wooster. Walter Wooster was one of the most intelligent people I have ever met. He was a, a, a nuclear um, laser engineer. Worked for the Navy. And Walter was one of the... He could look at anything and see Jesus. I mean, 
He, he, was, he was so well-read, and he knew history, and he knew literature, and he knew, he knew biology, and he knew chemistry, and he knew physics, and he, he knew everything, and everything we talked about. He'd say, let me show you how that reveals the character of God. Everything. And I got the idea that, that God's not just a good buddy. He's sovereign that has made the whole world. He has made this entire world so that every truth leads to himself. And so... I got this idea. I don't want to just be formal and I don't want to be just be warm. I want, to, I want to be knowledgeable. I want to see how it all leads to God. I want to be smart like my granddaddy told me to do. You see, God did that all for you. There, there, there are people in your life that have fulfilled that role and that's been very, very important to you. Now, God also led to you People that not only led you to Christ in that relationship because you loved them and they, led, they taught you more and more because they knew Him. But there are also people who did the work of God. You didn't know quite where they were spiritually, but they were really doing the work of God. And you learned great lessons from them. And they became also a part of the family. It says in Mark chapter 3, verses 33 through 35, that at one point... Jesus' family, biological family, came out to get him. His mom and his brothers and his sisters. And that Jesus used that occasion to teach a lesson. It says, in answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about on those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. God put people into your lives, and you could name them just like that, that after you were a Christian, you could look back at them and say, so that's why they taught me this. So that now I understand it better. There was, there was my seventh grade English teacher. I've told you about her. She was a German lady. The, the English pronunciation is wolf, but the, but the German was wolf, Mrs. Wolf. And she was an old school mom from way back, boy. Had the bun on her head. <laughs> Pulled her. I know why they do that now. It kind of gives you a facelift. Not, when, when you turn 50, you go, man, I ought to do that for a minute. But bun on her head and the, the gray flannel straight dress and the, and the tie-up little stubby high heels. And she used to walk in front of the class. I mean... Children, I am going to teach you how to write a paragraph. <laughs> She'd say, the first thing you must learn is a topic sentence. You must always have a topic sentence. <laughs> and every sentence in that paragraph must relate back to that topic sentence. Don't put a sentence in there that does not relate, that does not somehow explain or extend or repeat that topic sentence. <laughs> so we did. She said, you can wander anywhere. You can be as creative as you want, but it all has to relate with the topic sentence. You know what? 
when I became a Christian, I knew that there was something to Christianity in addition to the forgiveness of sins. I was awful glad to know that I couldn't pay for my own sins. Boy, does that ever take a load off my mind. And you know how long people try to pay for their own sins? And they can't. And they can't. Who's, what's you going to pay with? You already owe God everything. What's you going to pay with? How are you going to come up? Well, when somebody explained, you can't. That's what Jesus did. With his death on the cross, his death paid for your sins. His blood transfers to you. You're clean. Well, man, I want a dad. Who wouldn't? Are you kidding me? That's a no-brainer. All right. But I knew there was something else. And I remembered Mrs. Wolf. Jesus became my topic sentence. Everything in my life has to relate back to him. I can get as creative as I want. But somehow, that thing, that thought, needs to develop, extend, or repeat who Jesus is, or it's out of line. You see, she didn't know she was teaching me, but God knew she was teaching me. I remember a neighbor, Mr. Kelso. Some of you had neighbors like this. Some of you had mean neighbors. Some of you had nice neighbors, and most of you had both. And I remember Mr. Kelso. He was a young, handsome boy. I thought he had it all together. At that time, we were in a small town. My mother was having a real tough time with her alcoholism. I've told many of you my mother was an alcoholic. She died when she was 50 years old, weighed about 90 pounds. And I remember thinking, well, this is just a family problem. It's just a family secret. But I've learned since then a valuable lesson. When you're in a small setting, people know more about you than you think they do. When you're in a large setting, people know less about you than you think they do. I know some of you walk here and think, oh, they all know what I did. No, no, we don't. God does. And we have no idea. But when you grow up in a small town, what you think is private isn't private. And what I learned one day was that my mom had been downtown and really had been a very embarrassing. Um, um, she would have been embarrassed. Uh, we were all embarrassed. Remember the Hunter Dignity thing? We were all embarrassed because she was inebriated that day. Well, Jerry Kelso, who had it all together, came to me. I will never forget this as long as I live. And he said, Joey, as just a little burr-headed, freckle-faced kid, he was so handsome. He said, Joey, I want you to know something. I've loved my family, too. And there have been things in my family that have hurt me and embarrassed me, but I still love them. And I know how much it hurts. So if you ever want to talk, I want you to know I'll listen. Do you know how blown away I was that day thinking that somebody who had it all together knew what it was like to hurt? 
Do you know what it was like when I went into the ministry and I knew that for the rest of my life I would live among other broken people who would admit that they were broken. And forevermore, because of that man, when I saw their brokenness, I wouldn't approach them with standards. I'd approach them with sympathy. I wouldn't approach them with condemnation. I'd approach them with compassion. God's done that in your life, too. He's put those people in your life, too. Because we didn't get on the fence post by ourselves. Now, one more thing I want to talk about, and that is our ministry to to those extended family. And by extended family, you know who I'm talking about. The people God has brought to your life that you're grateful for. It says in Philippians 1, chapter 3, how to treat those that have come before you and have deposited God's grace into your life and those that even surround you now and mean so much to you. Paul wrote this at the beginning of almost every epistle. He says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. (laughs) There are people in your life who every time you think about them, you say, thank you, God. Some of them may know it. Some of them may not. Dr. Shoemaker was my minister growing up. I don't know that he ever particularly knew much about me. But he played such an important role in my life, he'll just never know. And some of you have people in that role. And some of you are people in that role. You know what that's like. I'm looking at Kelly out here. Kelly calls me her church dad. I like that. I don't know what role she has me in. We don't call each other every day. But for some reason, God has put me someplace where she needed. And I'm grateful for that. And you all have people like that. You're grateful for them because God put them in a role when you needed them in that role. Some of you had grandparents who passed on the faith to you and ministered to you in ways that your parents couldn't possibly do. Every time I think of my grandmother and my grandfather, I thank God for every remembrance of them. Some of you have peers. You had friends who came to Christ before you did. And their coming to Christ had all of the influence in the world on you. I had a friend like that, Mike Armstrong, Army. I'll never forget when he came to Christ because he absolutely changed. We were best friends. We got into all kinds of trouble together. We cussed. I mean, we, we made an art form out of cussing. And when he came to Jesus Christ, he just quit cussing cold turkey. And I thought, how can someone talk without cussing? You can't talk. I mean, what words do you use? But he figured it out. Somehow he, could, he spoke the, the king's English without a one cuss word. And I looked at him and I kept going, what's up with this? All of his money. He used to have money for popping chips. Because we'd go to the little corner, corner grocery store and we'd get Casey Jones chips and knee-high orange. And he didn't have any money anymore because he was giving it to missionaries. And I thought, what is up with this? It took me several years to come to Christ. 
took me several years to love Army's God, but I did. And you have people in your life that were like that for you. But here's the point. Our job is not only to thank God for every remembrance of them. Our job is to be that for others. You know, there's a wonderful, mind-boggling verse or verses at the end of the 11th chapter of Hebrews that Reggie mentioned, that great hall of faith. And it says this, essentially. God doesn't give us what He's given us just to bless us. God gives us what He gives us to bless others. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. That's what I've just been talking about. That's in Hebrews 12.1. And we can be thankful for every one who has participated in leading us to Christ and giving us a ministry. But there are two verses that come before that verse. Let me read them to you. Right at the end of the hall of faith, where he talks about the greatest believers that ever lived, this is what he says. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, they should not be made complete. You understand how God does things? He doesn't just deposit into your life. He makes it so that unless you give it to someone else, you will never be complete. That's where the next generation comes in. I read a story this week. <laughs> John William Smith, he's a great storyteller. He wrote several books. One of them called My Mother Played the Piano. And he talks about when he was a little kid and, and this path that they went, this road on which they went to school. He said it was a raised up road. On one side, there was a swamp. And on the other side, there was a river, stream. And he said in between the two, there was this giant culvert, like four or five feet in diameter. And he said one week it had rained for, for day after day after day, and they were walking to school in that pouring, pounding rain. And he, he looked out over the swamp, and the water was so high that it was almost to the road. And he said, and then I saw one of the most fascinating things I'd ever seen. There was a giant whirlpool. It was going round and round and sucking everything down. Well, he said, we were boys. What you do with a whirlpool is you throw stuff in. So Freddie found a frog. And he picked it up. And he threw it near that whirlpool. And that frog just swam like crazy. But it got sucked down. Oh, we couldn't imagine where it went. All I could find was a branch, but I threw it in. And it went round and round, sucked down. And all of us looked at each other in horror. What is this? These things must be going to the bottom of the earth. There's some deep pit in hell that's sucking all these things down. Well, we went on to school. But he said, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And so he said, in my mind, I went up in a helicopter. And I looked over the place. Then I saw it. The culvert. The culvert. 
It wasn't going down to hell. It was just passing on through. What caused that fascinating motion? What caused that energy? What caused that power? Was that it had some place to flow. It was meant and made to go beyond itself. Unless you go beyond yourself, there's no power. You know the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea? There's no outlet for the Dead Sea. That's why it's dead. Do you know the difference between a live Christian life that has all kinds of power and a dead one? The dead one is self-contained. The dead one believes all the blessings are from me. The dead one spends all of its energy thinking about itself. The live one goes on through. It comes out the other side. You know the difference between a live church and a dead one? And there are plenty of dead ones around. The dead one keeps trying to figure out its own problems. And the live one keeps giving itself away. Not just in salt and light, although that will be the power in your life. But as churches, we give to other churches. We give ourselves away till there's nothing left. That's where the power comes from. And generationally, you know why churches have power? To pass it on. To pass it on. Not when we get too old and tired and we just can't do it anymore and we need our kids to do it for us. Right now. Right now. I am so thrilled that next month, this church on Wednesday night is going to start a young adult service. Through the leadership of Vernon Rainwater, we have had kids come from very young ages and be raised to levels of spiritual leadership that a lot of us still don't know as adults. And they're ready to do it. Not ready to wait on it. They're ready to do it. I can't wait to see that happen. Because I know it's not just good for them. It's what we need. Psalm 78 says this. It's our memory psalm for the week. It was written by Asaph, who was a minister to the generations. And it says this. I will open my mouth in parables. Stories. I will utter hidden things. Things from old. What we have heard and known what our fathers have told us. We will not keep them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wondrous things He has done. Okay, well, let's see. Uh... Well, there's the Big Dipper, and that one is the North Star, and 
Well, Pallades is up there somewhere. And, and there's a bear. There, there is a bear. Yeah, the constellations tell us stories. They tell us lots of stories. Oh, that one over there. That one is... Uh, that one is... That is a clump. I'm sorry, Corey. I, I don't know the stars. Not like your mom. She used to be able to name every single one ever since we were kids. I never paid that much attention. Well, come here. I can't tell you about the stars, but I can tell you about your mom and how much she loved you. Mm. But how will you know that, hmm? How will you know? Maybe you'll know her by your eyes, which are already so much like hers. And maybe you'll have the gift of teaching that she had. You know, you were born under a different set of stars than these. You were born under the Southern Cross, and that's far, far away from here. So your mommy and daddy believe that they were called to teach people all over the world about Jesus, about who he is and what he's done. Your mama, she wasn't afraid of anything. Not even when she got sick. She would just say to me, Christy, this disease isn't final. I'm not afraid. Well, my sister was dying and I was afraid. I thought she was in denial or expecting a miracle healing and well that's what I put my hope in, Corey, in a miracle healing. I thought perhaps on the day that you were there there would be a miracle healing but it didn't come and it didn't come and I just I got mad and really scared. Oh, but she loved you so much. You were miracle enough for her, but not me. I was mad at you. But she asked me to help your daddy raise you and tell you all about her. You know, right up to the day she died, she would say, Jesus is risen, there is no death in this for me. And she really was not afraid. She wasn't even afraid that she might have made some wrong choices along the way. She just believed that God absolutely had his hand over her and over your daddy and over you. Imagine I spent every moment terrified that it would be her last and she spent every moment enjoying you. I'm going to tell you all about her, Corey. I'm going to tell you every detail of her beautiful face, her laugh, and her tender smile. And when I'm done, when I have told you everything that I have known and loved about your mama, you will know her God. Corey, you will know her God. Before I give the benediction, I want to tell you something. You have the power of selecting 
your spiritual ancestors. If you have those that have put into your lives the grace of God, you must thank God for them. But if you do not have those, if you are not yet a part of the family, tonight you could be. Tonight it could start with you. Tonight your father could be Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jeremiah. Your elder brother could be Jesus who died for you. And if you make that selection, not only can you walk with a certainty of who you are in the family, but your family will never need to worry about you again. And that is a very special gift. Let me ask the prayer team to come forward and let me invite any of you who want tonight to join the family because you're not a part of it yet to come up and pray with them. And let me also if, issue an invitation for those of you who already are a part of the family. And as we have talked tonight, your memories have not all been funny. They've been hurtful. You have been hurt not only by your blood relatives, but maybe your neighbors, maybe even somebody in the family of faith. And you're wondering, where does that put you? It puts you right squarely in need of God's healing, like all of us are. And I want to assure you tonight that God can and will heal you of that and give you the family that you need. For the rest of you who will go out from here, let me admonish all of us to do two things. Let us thank God out loud for those that He has put into our life that have led us to Him and that have enriched our ministry for Him. And if they're anywhere around, anywhere in listening distance, let's thank them out loud. And the second thing, let's determine tonight, it doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop here. It goes on generation after generation through you.